are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Ah, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You know, this is, you just finally invite me over and then you move again. You know, like what's the deal? Last time I was here, we were out there in the mud. Yeah. And then you got a floor. And then you're taking the roof off. So much going on around here. So good. Wow. What a great treat to be here. Kind of catch you in in process. Um, I just want you all to acknowledge my lovely wife, Sherry. Come on. Come on. on. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. There we are. There she is. Yeah. <laughs> she said, don't call me up. I said, okay. A couple things. Let's test the sound on uh, this deal. Sound man. Sound man who's not looking at me. We're, I thought we'd check the sound and make sure this is all working, yeah? Okay. No. No. That's all right. You know what we're going to do? We're, I'm just going to tell you about it. Um, you'll notice on that table back there, there's a bunch of red books. Somebody came up to me and said, wow, that's a bold title, Unpunishable. Unpunishable, like, dude, you're trying to take our punishment away from us. Oh, well, you had to point yourself out. Way to go. Way to go. Now we all knew who said it. Um, Actually, that is the most common response to this whole thing. It's not you. It's me. It's not not you. It's me. Yeah. I'll see you later. Um, This book is really written to help us be reminded of the new covenant. Because something that happened in the garden, something that happened when, when Adam and Eve decided to break the one rule that they had. You can do whatever you want. You run around naked. Run around naked. I don't care. You have one rule. One. That's just so that you have a ruler. That right there is worth buying the book. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. You got one rule so that you have a ruler. And the devil says, you know, God's afraid if you break that one rule, you'll be like him, the ruler. And he said, oh, I see what you say. I see where you're going with this. He says, yeah, he's afraid that you'd be more like him. There's no way they could have been more like him. They were completely like him already. So when they break the one rule, they don't become more like him. They become like their new ruler. 
And now they see the father through the eyes of their new ruler, the serpent. And they are afraid and ashamed and they hide. And so pretty much everything you and I ever know about anything ever up to Jesus is mankind seeing everything through the eyes of the serpent, their ruler. It gets better. This is just the book giveaway part, man. Do you understand that? Do you understand that everything that was ever written, every bit of history that was ever noted was seen through mankind looking at God through the eyes of the serpent. That's why when the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, we are our fathers, Abraham. Our fathers, Abraham. And Jesus says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Because if your father was Abraham, then you'd know me. Your father's not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Your daddy is the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees. Your father is the devil who's been a liar since when? Since the beginning. I think, I think we have some things to learn about our new covenant. It's called Unpunishable back there in the table. It's going out at 10 bucks today. 10 bucks. It's a 10 buck deal. And if you want it signed, I'll sign it somewhere. Somebody will tell you that we'll sign it. Okay? Does that do good? Give these away. Give these away. Thank you. And they're signed. They're signed. You don't even have to stand in line or anything. How amazing is that? Hey, another thing is that if you guys have not been to the Loving on Purpose website yet, see way to go. Um, please go there, take that assessment. It'll help. It'll help you line up the 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 resources that we have to put you on the pathway to relational success, and that's really what we're aiming to do. All right. Okay. Now, how many of you know that when the when the enemy decides to become the accuser, when he puts his crosshairs on something, on somebody, he goes to work to completely discredit, to not only discredit, but to distort, not only to distort, to, but to pervert. I mean, when the enemy put his crosshairs just on the subject of creation, and eventually challenges the idea that we have a creator, so much so that we have an introduction of a theory of how it happened outside of God. There's just a theory. It's just like, well, this could have happened. Could have happened. Could have been this way. You can't prove it didn't because it was billions of years ago. How's that? Huh? Prove that. Prove that it didn't happen. That theory becomes science that we teach our children. 
because the accuser went after creation. And now we're like scratching our head going, what do you mean evolution isn't true? Of course it's true. My teacher said it was true. You sound like Forrest Gump right there. <laughs> well, that's how you feel after you realize that you've been lied to by the accuser. He just got, goes down the list of things. Get, let's get rid of the creator and his word. Let's get rid of his word. Let's accuse the Bible of just being written by a bunch of men. It's just a bunch of men wrote that book. That's what happened. Come up with whatever. Who, who knows where they come up with that? It's just a book. That's right. Because other books are written by... Well, I'll tell you what. The enemy has put another very key subject in his crosshairs, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about marriage. I want to talk to you about, here's another one. See, because when, when the enemy goes after something, he, he discredits it, distorts it, perverts it, and then people get afraid of it. They get afraid of even being associated with it. Because other people will jump on the accusational spirit and accuse them too. So everybody just gets really quiet. I can't even tell you what I think, because I don't want enough spirit of accusation that flows through you to kill me. So I'll just make myself a really small target and have no thoughts or opinions except on Facebook. <laughs> the land of influence. See, we have been beat down and, and made afraid of something that God has called us to. It's actually what he, it's the way he designed mankind to propagate and to socialize and to, and to organize and to protect himself and to flourish. And the accuser has put his crosshairs on marriage. Now, how many of you have ever been to a wedding? Yeah, most people have been to weddings. They're kind of they're cool, you know? They're kind of cool. They're, they're kind of fun. And, and you, hopefully somebody, you know, makes them memorable. Philip, I want to tell you a story. <laughs> and like all new stories, it starts like this. Once upon a time, there was a father. And in case you can't figure that out, that's me. <laughs> This father had a wonderful little boy. He was very happy. Then one day he found out that his wife was going to have no baby. So I prayed, Lord, if you choose will, you will have a He did. I was the first person to hold her in my arms. I looked at her and I said, Lord, make her like a mother. And he did. She was loving, giving, so good and so kind. But then I realized I was getting left out. <laughs> so I said, Lord, make her like me. And he did. She could drive a truck and a tractor. 
She can blow the hay and strip the back of it. You realize what you're getting. <laughs> But at the same time, she was opinionated, emotional, hard-headed. So I said, Lord, that's enough of that. Make her like you. And he did. He gave her the desire to serve people. She loves people. She gave her life to be a nurse. She's brought people back to the dead. She's held the hand of people and breathed their last breath. He gave her a heart for missions, and she's trekked all over the world, pushed canoes up swollen rivers, and laid on the floor while bullets whizzed outside so she could tell people about Jesus. But still, something was missing. So I said, Lord, make her happy. See that look on her face? I never saw that until she met you. And I'm grateful for that. Today I'm giving you the best thing I had to give. I just wanted you to know before I do that how hard me and God's work to get her ready. <laughs> It's God's idea. Now, what I'm about to share with you, it has nothing to do with the condition that your life has gone through. If whether you are single, don't want to get married, single, want to get married, single, about to get married, got married not too long ago, got divorced not too long ago, got divorced a long time ago, been married a long time. I, it, I'm not talking to anybody in particular. I'm talking to you about the strategy of the enemy to destroy what another thing that God has called us to protect, to, to love. We have a generation of people today that are scared of this topic, scared to get married, scared of what will happen to their life, scared of everything that will go wrong because... I have a plan for my life. I mean, I'm, I, I have a plan. I met Jesus, and I'm going from where I am to the passion of my life coming true while I'm rich and famous and have lots of followers. Some people get married like this. Some people get married, and they go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I know how this is going to go. Like, nope, you really don't. You, you really have no idea how this is going to go. You don't know how your life's going to go. You don't know how today is going to go, really. But we somehow, we get this great idea in our head that, you know what? I know how this is going to go. I'm, I'm large and in charge. And the Lord says, so let, me, let me show you the way. Here's how we're going to do this. <laughs> I 
And it isn't too long before you have something called trust. You just got to trust the Lord. And you got to believe him while you're hanging on for your life. Now, how many of you have ever been to a wedding or talking to a friend who's having marriage troubles? And somewhere in your thoughts or came out of your mouth, you said something like, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's like one out of two. Okay. I mean, like, that's half. Half of these things go in the toilet. That's how this works. Now, just imagine if you heard that, you know, half the people that get a puppy get killed by it. Half the people that get a puppy die from the animal attacking the owner to death. That put a whole other spin on Johnny going, Daddy, can we get a puppy? No. Don't you know half the people that get puppies die? Think about it. If half the people that ate at restaurants died, can we go to McDonald's? No. You feeling lucky? Half. 50%. One out of two. 50 out of 100. Don't make it. So you're sitting at a wedding. And you're watching these two and you're like, I wonder which one they are. Because I've been to four weddings this month. I know one of them ain't making it. That is the information going out for a couple generations now. And by generations, I mean kids who've gone through school and, and, and heard this from their teachers and seen it on television. So much so that it's, it's dinner table conversation. Oh, you know, half of them, half of them. Half of puppies killed our owners. And I, I'm, I think, of what, what is the thought, what is the feeling that I have about this information? <laughs> I just want to say something to communicate my disapproval. Because I got some good news for you. That stuff's not true. As a matter of fact, it's never been close to true. It's never been close to half. It's kind of wild. I mean, some of you are Googling it right now. What the? What is he talking about? Oh, it sure is. I'm going to find that. I'm going to find it. No, you, what you'll find is that in the early 80s, there were 
some statistical engineers that, that looked at the 70s. You remember the 70s, right? They followed the 60s. See how I did that right there real quick? Math in my head. And they said, you know, if these divorce trends continue, this could lead to, this could lead to a 50% divorce rate. This was a supposed proposition back in the early 80s that we are currently projecting if things continue, this is how it could happen to this is what will happen to this is what's happening. No, no, as a matter of fact, um, let's reach into the right-wing conservative databases of the uh, U.S. Census, okay? And what we see is the opposite, actually. This is reaching way back into the 1900s here. <laughs> but not only is the divorce rate not increasing, the divorce rate is declining and has been for about 30-some years as of the last census. And so we begin to realize, wait a second, what, where did that, what is going on? What is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. Less people are getting married. That's what's happening right there. More people are just living together because it's crazy to get married. No, no, this is divorces. You have to get married before you can get a divorce. <laughs> this isn't counting the people that didn't get married. This is the number of people who are getting divorced is declining. Now, now, it is true that most people, they do have three or four marriages. That's true. It's true. It's just with the same person. And that's just a symptom of being alive because living things grow and growing things change. And if you're trying to stay the same husband you were when you were first married, therein lies the problem. If you're trying to stay the same wife that you were right after your children were born and now they're gone, therein lies the problem. You have several marriages to this spouse of yours because there's, you're changing, you're growing, you need different things, you become different people. Same thing happens with your parenting. Some people try to raise their teenagers like they raise their toddlers. How's that working out for you? It's not. It isn't going to. 
And so, what if for the last 60 years you heard, you know, most marriages last a lifetime. You know, most of these things last a lifetime. Instead of half, half of pet owners die. Especially if there's a puppy involved. Most marriages last a lifetime. There's a, a book that came out that I want you to just take a picture of this or at least remember the words good news. Can you do that? Can you remember the words good news and just put, Danny was talking about marriage. This, this comes from right up the street. This is, uh, these, these folks are right up your, right up there. This is, this is a couple statisticians who said, half? Where's that number coming from? And they went and found it. They went and searched it. They went and searched the places where, that were pumping this sewage out. And they said, you know what? This is wrong. This is, this is a bunch of garbage. You know what? There's a bunch of good news about marriage out there. Did you know that 72% of the people who have ever been married and are alive today are still married to the person they married? Do you know that most marriages last a lifetime? 72% of the people who ever decide to get married, still married. First wife. Does divorce happen? Oh, yeah. Well, I got to do the math real quick. 28, 28% right there, 28%. Well, 28% includes people who have died, which makes it so much harder to stay married. So that shrinks it down even more so that we see a divorce rate that is much closer to 20 to 25%. That's half of the lie. Most marriages last a lifetime. I mean, it would still be rough if you said, you know, one in four people who eat in a restaurant die. I mean, that would still make it kind of sketchy. But The good news is that most marriages last a lifetime. And we should be the, the broadcast system that can supply people with some hope. Because just think of the amount of hopelessness that comes to people who are struggling. People who are struggling. It isn't long before they go, you know, half these things don't work. No. Most of these things do work. There's, there's good news everywhere. 
Well, you know, people who are married are just kind of like, whatever. I'm stuck in this thing. Yeah, they're never going to change. Yeah, well, just don't get married. Don't wreck your life. Get married. Actually, you know, um, Prepare and Rich does a bunch of uh, studies. I think this one came from that that basically said 93% said, yep, I'd do this again. I'd marry this person again. 93% is pretty high. That's an A. <laughs> Marriage report came out, got an A. Well, you know, the divorce rate in the church is the same as it is in, in the world. The divorce rate in the church is the same as it is in the world. The church is just a mirror of the world. I probably have said that myself. Please forgive me. But the truth is, depending on where you go to church and who you've surrounded yourself with, it is significantly lower. You could get that bad boy down to 12% or lower. Why? Because you found covenant people who know how to work through difficulty and hang on to each other and, and protect legacy. And that's what we're doing here. Gra grab people and make sure that you have somebody to look at that can say to you, humble yourself. Grab on. See, here are, here's some, some information that changes our expectation of ourselves. But when you are bombarded with the lies of the accuser, it's pretty tough to see clearly. It's pretty tough to make decisions aside from what you believe to be true. Especially when everybody around you is doing the same thing. Everybody around you goes, yeah, half. Half those puppies kill you. Half. It's true. Oh, look. Look there on Facebook. Person's having a divorce party. Wow, look at all the people saying amen. Half. Half. That's the truth. That's the truth right there. Is anybody listening to me? Or are you still Googling it? <laughs> I know this is hard to hear. It's hard to hear. I'm not stupid, but I feel stupid right now. Okay. I understand. I understand. It's, it's shocking. Shocking that you can practice something that is an absolute lie from the devil. I, I've done it myself. I'm, I'm just, I just want everybody to know it's not true. It's just not true that half of the marriages are ending up in divorce, or that it's the same in the church as it is outside the church. It's not. Why do we think, why is it so easy to believe? Guess what you hear about? Guess what makes front page? Well, Joe and Harry, 
Harriet, still married. Yep, going on 47 years, still married. Yep, so are most of the people you know, still married. No, what do you hear about? Oh, did you hear about Mary and Joseph? <laughs> Mary and Joseph split up. That's right, well, half, half's going to. Oh, I just heard so-and-such is getting divorced, too. I know, I know. Half. Every other. Hundreds of people are still married. But who are we talking about? Wow, that got big. Yeah. Well, Becky and Bobby are struggling. Yeah, yeah it's probably going to just end up in a divorce. Half of them do. That's why it feels true. Because we focus on that. We don't focus on the 72%. So the next time you hear, yeah, so-and-so's got divorced, you know, say, say, you know, most marriages last a lifetime. There's like over 72% of the people who got married still are. Just want to bring that to the conversation. Uh-uh. Oh, that was a projection. That's weird. I thought it was a fact. No, it was a projection. Most people are not dealing with life-altering issues. They're not dealing with heroin addiction and multiple adulteries and or adultery even. Most people are dealing with situations that come from being disconnected. We got disconnected. I got my feelings hurt. We had a misunderstanding. We disagreed about something and we got disconnected. And that disconnection got filled with fear. And we didn't repair the disconnect. We decided to live disconnected. And we made life together normal to be disconnected. And we blamed it on marriage. We blamed it on each other. That's what most people are dealing with. Back to uh, our report card. 97% of the spouses report that they actually want their spouse to be taken care of. I want you to be happy. I want your needs to be met. I actually care about you. I love you. But when you're disconnected, that doesn't feel true at all. All you care about is yourself. You don't ever care. You never have cared about me. The thoughts that go through your craziness when you're disconnected. I wonder if I could afford an apartment myself. I wonder how long I could do that. How long would I have to say about, would I ever live with my mother again? Maybe if I had to. How will we split up visitation with the children? How bad, how bad is that going to mess them up? I don't know. I don't know. 
how do you do dating sites? I don't even know how you do a dating site. I've never done that before, but that's a, how long think I'll be before I date again? I don't know. Well, there is that one guy at the office. That's your disconnect talking. Your disconnect and your counselor of fear, also known as the devil, who then follows it up with, you know, half, half. Half these things don't work. It's a connection repair. Because as soon as you get your connection back, you know, as soon as you speak each other's love language, you know, you just walk up and hug them. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh, you're hugging me. Oh, yeah, I knew you were the one for me. I always knew it. The Lord told me to be with you. That's why I remember it's all coming back. <clears throat> well, you better delete that dating site search that you had going. <laughs> Is this too real? Too bad. <laughs> this is how this is how we do things. We do, and the disconnects we make we make them huge, and they're not real. They're they're not they're not. That's not real. Feels real, especially if you do it for a long time. When you make disconnection, marriage, well, that's a bummer. When you make disconnection, parenting, that's a bummer. When you make disconnection, employment, that's a bummer. When you make disconnection, the gospel, that's a bummer. Don't do that. Because there's lots of really great stuff waiting for you on the other side of connection. Lots of really great stuff waiting for you in love. Smartest thing you could do. Sean Bowles was with us at our Loving on Purpose conference, and we had a little panel going up here, and he, he talked about something about shifting perspectives. Like, well, he said, one of the fastest ways I have of, of, of getting my connection back or, or looking at a situation differently is I just shift my perspective. He says, and oftentimes what I see has led to a disconnect is my desire to be Right? I need to be right. I'm willing, I'm willing to die on the right mountain. Well, that's exactly what happened. You died there. That's what that smell is. It's, it's, it's your rotting carcass on right mountain. Now, you have to think through this, man. And if you talk to anybody who's been married for more than a month, they begin to realize, you know, being right's pretty expensive. <laughs> pretty expensive. And right stuff just kind of shows up. You don't have to, like, prove it there in the moment. By calling your mom. And he said, you know what? You can either be right or you could be happy. 
I thought, well, that's some great marriage advice right there. I'm going to tell other people that because it's true. You can protect your connection over the issue, or you can sacrifice your marriage so you can be right. Do you know how often a day the Lord does this with you? Oh, you think that's right, huh? Hmm. Well, I love you. Uh, we'll talk about that other stuff later. I tried to tell you in my word that wasn't true, but you know what? Whatever you say. I love you. That's the power of love. The power of love is more powerful than being right. It's one of the reasons why the world's wondering, why are you guys always telling me you love me when you stab me to death with your, your right knife? We're getting it. We're getting so much better at it. I'm so proud of us. We're doing such a much, much better job. Well, here is a, here's my message today. I just want you to know something. Most marriages last a lifetime. Let's all stand together. And let's say that, shall we? On three. Ready? One, two, three. Most marriages last a lifetime. Let's do that again. Most marriages last a lifetime. You guys are good at this. Let's do it one more time. Most marriages last a lifetime. Okay, let's see if we can get that in your heart settled in there. Because at some point in the not-too-distant future, you're going to hear somebody say, half. People who eat at McDonald's die. I just messed up my whole sermon with a terrible illustration. Well, if they do it for half their life. Okay, if they do it for half their life, they die. That's, that's, all right. Okay, put your hand on your heart. I pledge allegiance. No, I'm just kidding. Father, thank you that you have shown us your covenant for a lifetime. That you are not fickle, you are not distracted, you are not... Uh, we, you, nothing that we do can cause you to disconnect from us. Nothing can separate us from your covenant with us. And so, so Lord, we do ask you for a fresh revelation of this idea of covenant, how it looks, how it behaves, how we, how we choose one another. For, for married people, Lord, I pray for just a protective seal on the promises that they made to one another. And Lord, a, a grace and a courage to work through any disconnects that have found their way in. And Lord, that you would heal any hearts that have been devastated through divorce, either themselves or their parents or their children or anyone who has been impacted by the lies and the, and the wiles of the devil. And Lord, I do pray that as we go out of here today, that we understand that we are people of hope. We are not partners of an accuser. We are people of hope. 
And, and those who bring the most hope have the most influence. So, Father, please help us to see what it is that you are doing in us and through us and be glorified through the hope that we can bring in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.